welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we address issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, and too often ignored. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Mish Middleman, AKA Recovery Man, the title of the popular blog he produces on his experience with prostate cancer. Mish is an organic veggie gardener, prostate cancer survivor, and convener of the Global Recovering Men Prostate Cancer Support Group. His blog, Recovering Men, very candidly chronicles his own prostate cancer journey and those of others affected by prostate cancer. In his professional life, he's a systems coach helping leadership teams and organizations worldwide to embrace both change and diversity and inclusiveness. Prior to this, he was the co-founder and CEO of a software startup in Johannesburg, South Africa. He's here to speak with me today about the insights he's gained through his own experience of prostate cancer and working with hundreds of others through his support community. Mish, thank you so much for joining today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I love what you said about how this is so often undiscussed. So thank you for reaching out to actually discuss the undiscussable. Yeah, we like that. We like that. So um, I think we're going to be off to something really interesting and insightful here. So, I, I mean, I mentioned in my intro about your blog, which is, of course, how I found you. So I want to just start off by commenting that, you know, in your blog, you've talked in, in some detail about support for the non-clinical aspects of living with prostate cancer. And I'm, I'm really interested in hearing more from you about this and what you've learned from the many men you've spoken with about not so much per se their treatment, which we can get onto, but the, the so-called non-clinical aspects. Well, thanks. I mean, I think, I think the deal is that there's a kind of an alliance between us that are diagnosed with cancer and the people who diagnose us, which is we all want to fix it. We just want the thing out of there. Yeah, And then kind of after that, some treatment has been done. If we're lucky, we don't have the cancer anymore. If we're not so lucky, we do. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, what you just summarized as the non-clinical aspects. And I think most men after their first treatment just feel lost and alone. Mm -hmm. I certainly did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit like you're taking this great big journey you know, to New York and you arrive at JFK and it's very exciting, but you would know, and, and, and I've experienced that when you arrive at JFK, once you've got your baggage, you dumped out on the street. There's an arrival hall, but it's really just a, like a passageway. It's just like, get on with your life now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was just going to jump in and say, unless you're flying first class, but yes, I, uh, that, okay, that's well, probably that's an issue. Experience, that's an experience I have yet to have. Absolutely, and most of us too. <laughs> But, but the point being that we don't have much of a roadmap. Yeah. We are feeling lost and alone. Our, we've kind of had a rug pulled out of our sense of manhood, our sexual identity. We're kind of like all over the place. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, the clinician who's done this amazing magical treatment for me is not actually optimized for dealing with the stuff that I'm dealing with. And, and he was frank with me when I asked him, he said, look, you already know more about this sort of recovery aspects than I do. I'm a, in my case, a robotic surgeon. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. And everything else is kind of, it's kind of like we're out on that curbside at JFK, but there's no cabs and there's no buses and there's no shuttles and your friend hasn't come to pick you up. Mm. You're just staring at the blank tarmac. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like, where do we go from here? 
So, I mean, in your discussions with all these men that you speak with, and, and I presume they're, they're partners too on occasion, yes. do you think that there is an ideal model of um, support for so-called non-clinical aspects and, you know, for men going through prostate cancer diagnosis and treatment? You know, I think there's so much that we can do. Mm-hmm. I think that when we say ideal roadmap, it sounds like we can have a perfect fix. And really the start of the ideal roadmap for me is it's about adaptation rather than a perfect fix. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a small proportion of us who do get a perfect fix and lucky for them. But most of us, we are adapting to new bodies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I think the integrated care map needs to look like is a bunch of resources to help us adapt to our new bodies mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. care for our bodies. Because, you know, we all know the cancer cells are going to be, re, you know, there are going to be more mutations in our cells, even if you've taken every single one out of our bodies in the treatment. And so we need to have healthy bodies to, to keep the cancer from really coming back in any significant way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you mentioned partners. I want to start there because, I mean, that's kind of probably where the resources started for me was having a supportive partner. I think it's huge to have a supportive partner. And it takes an enormous amount for both partners to be able to talk about it. You know, it's often called the divorce uh, disease or the couple's disease because mm. it's so easy for either partner male or female, but either the one with the cancer or the one without the cancer to just be freaked out and say, my partner's not what they used to be. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Or for the owner of the, or the ex-owner of the prostate, the one who's been diagnosed to kind of go, well, I'm not the man I used to be. So I'm out of here. Mm. That's the bigger context, I think, of the care plan. Then there's so much that is known. And, you know, all the men I talk to say that nobody spoke to them about their diet, their physical fitness and exercise, their mental health. It's rare to even be put in touch with a physiotherapist or physical therapist. Mm -hmm. And it's even more rare to have anybody kind of engage with the kind of issues that are needed to develop a sexual inventiveness. Mm. You know, it's like, because like sex is different when your body's different. Yeah. And, and men particularly, we, we aren't trained for that. We have this very simple kind of sexual function. And suddenly, oops, that thing that used to kind of be in a certain way, doesn't function that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's about being inventive and recreative. And how do you make love rather than how do you just kind of poke around? Yeah. And it's all of that. You know, there's tons known about that. It's a range of care and help and conversation and adaptation that's needed. Yeah. But a simple roadmap would help. And it's, you know, I mean, you mentioned about the changes in your sexual identity and your sexual function, to put it bluntly. It, you know, it's it's a change in in your sort of status. You're, you know, you're now dealing with something called vulnerability, you know. And I imagine yeah. I mean, I think the you know, in my own conversations, and I'm sure you've had them too, and maybe even experienced it, there there are so many of these resources out there, which you pointed out. It's it's how you kind of package them, which actually leads me to another question. We agree that there's so many of these resources out there, but, you know, it's mm. almost like a cruel irony that we live in this world, that there's so much information out there. It's almost, you know, information overload to, to coin the term. And yet so many men feel unable to access and acquire the information they need you know, to make the optimal choices about their care. And I'm, I'm interested what you've learned from your conversations about how men do seek the information and the support they need for some of the issues that you're describing. Mm, thanks for raising that. Because I think this is really one of my biggest, really ongoing research interests is 
what enables us to get the information, which, as you say, it's all there somewhere. Mm-hmm. What enables us to get it and what enables us to act on it? Exactly. Um, getting it, we can Google, but, you know, and I'm particularly well-resourced, but it took me about a year to, to find the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and now a lot of it's on my blog and it's all quite familiar. But what I've noticed in working with other men is a lot of people acquire information more through conversation and stories than through sort of download. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I created my blog the way I did. I'm telling my own story in excerpts, a bit like Charles Dickens, you know, a little, mm-hmm. a little another episode every week or two, mm-hmm. um, or like a TV series. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm getting other people to do the same. And I'm also in the support group. We just talk and we have a topic, but it's very loose. And what I'm noticing is that men and their partners kind of pick up on stuff when they're ready. Yeah. And that's so contrary to the more clinical sort of model of like, now the treatment, there's a Mm. date, there's a hospital visit. Mm -hmm. I want to say, I don't want to put all the blame if I'm perhaps suggesting that on the clinical establishment, because what I see is we're like hand in glove. The clinical establishment is, and to its credit, very thorough about that clinical model. Mm -hmm. And we as the consumers of that service actually love it. We just want to fix. You know, so many men say to me, I just want that cancer out of me. I don't really care about anything else. Don't tell me about urine control and sexual function. Just get the cancer out. Yeah. So we come in with this deep desire for a complete solution. And often our clinical practitioners come with the equivalent desire to give us a perfect solution. And then a lot of stuff gets lost in the the rush into like, this is a quick fix. There's a lot of depth that's needed. There's a lot of examining, understanding, adapting, as I keep saying. And that, I think the diagnosee and the diagnosor (laughs) are both not naturally tuned to doing. We're both naturally tuned to just let's get the quick fix and get out of here. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's interesting because I can understand that mentality, but I wonder if, if you've noticed how much it, it varies across different types of men, for lack of a better term. And, and one of the things I'm particularly interested in is, do you find variations in the age of men when they you know, first get their diagnosis? Not being a, a clinician, I can't say sort of, I can't give you data on that, but my yeah. gut feel is that we're getting diagnosed younger. And we're living longer. Yeah. So I felt like I was on the cusp of this. I was diagnosed at 61. And there was a little bit of that voice that's sort of like, you know, you're an old guy. You know, you, you don't, you know, sex is like, was, is, is for young men. Just get rid of the cancer. And, and my uh, urologist did sort of say, I think you're too young for that approach. But I could feel he was on the edge of saying, you know, it's a sort of minimal care because you're old now. Mm-hmm. And, Mm -hmm. I think the two things that are happening now are that we're living longer. So even if we are only diagnosed at 70, we've still got the the chance of living for another 20, 30 years Mm. or more. And secondly, that we are getting diagnosed earlier, thank goodness. So I think the the demands for quality of life can only increase from here. So I'm still relatively polite about it. But what I hear from the men I talk to is just extreme anger. Hmm. Whether it's all true or not, their belief is. Yeah, that's that's the that key, doctor isn't it? lied to me and said I would be fixed, and mm-hmm. now I'm not, and I'm mm-hmm. angry. 
Mm-hmm. And he's taken away my joy of sex, or he's taken away my just joy of simply walking without a nappy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the language I hear out there. It's anger about what clinically they call quality of life issues, yeah, which yeah. is really all aspects of health other than the very specific thing that the treatment addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's all aspects of treatment. It's all clinical. You know, it's like, how's my head? How's my heart? How's my, my sexual function? Those are all clinical things, actually. Sure. It's just that they're not always treated by surgery. Some of them are treated by physiotherapy or psychotherapy yeah, or, or counseling or, 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 mm-hmm. or visiting my uh, conversation group, you know? Mm-hmm. So then I was going to... Um, just, you know, pick up on that, because I, I hear similar things. Uh, people who come to our clinic often are also angry for various reasons, and some of them correlate with what you're saying. And I just want to test you on an idea. Do you do you think that some of these men feel that they're stereotyped? You know, do you think that they feel like, well, you know, I was considered too old, which is you've touched on that already, mm-hmm. or, or you know, um, I'm a gay man, for example, or, you know, I don't have a partner, or, you know, some way that they might be categorized that they feel that they've almost been stereotyped. And you know, I just wonder about that um, if, if because you've met a, a lot of men who've undergone this um, mm. this treatment and this this experience. So I'm wondering if that's something you've seen and mm. and do you think it, it it's been seen to impede any kind of progress in their care? Mm. I mean, yes, and thank you for mentioning it. I mean, when you mentioned this, the biggest one is black men who yes who are much more at much higher risk of of prostate cancer than anyone else Indeed. Than, than any other men and yet get less treatment. And that's a much bigger systemic issue, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's about systemic racism. It's not just about the clinical establishment. And I think gay men often feel like, and, and I notice so much of the research is heteronormative. You know, mm-hmm. so much of what's written is, and, and the, the, the international index of erectile function, which, which was really popularized by Pfizer and Viagra marketing people, mm-hmm. um, it's all about having conventional heterosexual sex with your female partner. Mm-hmm. And it's off. It's time. It's, it's long past its sell-by date. And it's, it's, it's highly off-putting to anybody who, who, who is sexual and makes love in ways that are different to the heteronormal kind of stereotype. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, people of all genders and sexualities and races and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a ton there. And underlying those specific categories is also just a sort of a broader category that I think is lurking behind all of these is kind of the stereotype of the broken man. And again, what do you mean by that? I, well, yeah, I don't know how much this comes from the practitioners and how much it comes from the uh, diagnoses, but I notice a lot of us feel like, well, until now, my life was it was about possibility and, and my male identity is sort of I'm driving, I'm energetic, I'm, a, I'm an initiator. And now in the way that's very dear to my heart and my groin, I can't do that anymore. And I just feel broken and I feel like I'm no longer, you know, I think a lot of men feel like they no longer are men. I feel like I'm just a different man. Mm-hmm. And my manhood is, is way more than my, my erection and my sexuality is way more than, uh, than that as well. And my libido is way more than sexuality. But I do think that there is a sort of underlying stereotype of what it is to be a man that is not serving us. I have a friend in the UK, a gay man in the UK, who keeps saying being a man 
often gets in the way of being a man with prostate cancer. <laughs> yeah. that, that male stereotypes kind of block us. Right. Um, and I think he's very wise and I think he's accurate. And I think that's some of our work. So, you know, when I've, I've said I'd love to have integrated care, what I don't believe is it's all about someone giving us stuff. I think it's mm -hmm. a lot of us, about us being empowered and empowering ourselves to kind of claim the way forward. Mm -hmm. And that then is infinitely varied. You know, we've mentioned some of the variations of race, of sexual preference, of age, etc. But actually, each person creating our own roadmap is unique. Mm -hmm. And that's my other big interest is how do we empower ourselves? How do we help other men and their partners be empowered to find their way through this, to actually create the roadmap? It's not just about information. And it's not just about treatment. It's also about adaptation. And it's a lot about dashboards. How do we get enough information and feedback about our health so that we're getting feedback that we can take action on? Yeah. So yeah. We're not just saying, I must go to a professional and have them diagnose me. Right. There's or a have ton it, of stuff that's yeah. our responsibility. Or have it categorized in a term like personalized care or something that... Um, yeah, it, it is it is a little bit more holistic, isn't it? But um, but you know, I would say that you know, it's it's precisely by having conversations with people like yourself and getting these stories out there that is the beginning of all of this. And you've done a a wonderful thing with your blog, and and I congratulate you on that, and wish you all the best in taking it forward. And also, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. I'm sure our listeners will have found it very stimulating, very insightful, and and hopefully we'll do it again. Thank you so much. I'll just uh, give credit to Chimamanda Adichie, who, who says, beware of the single story. <laughs> we need many stories. And that's what my blog is doing. And if you're listening to this and you've got a story, get in touch. I'll make sure that people do. Thanks once again. It's been a pleasure. A transcript of this interview and links to more information about Mish and the Recovering Man blog are available in the program notes on our website, along with further information on diagnostics and treatment for prostate cancer, as well as additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>